Hey everybody, Joe Garofoli here. The other day I appeared on 5th and Mission, the Chronicle's flagship podcast with my friend, Chronicle columnist Heather Knight. We talked about housing in San Francisco and California in the wake of the Board of Supervisors killing a big housing development on land that's now being used as a Nordstrom Valley parking lot here on Stevenson Street. Not only has this become a big issue in San Francisco, which Heather wrote about in her column, it has become a dividing line in the state assembly race between two big-name Democrats, David Campos and Matt Haney, which I wrote about in my column. It's one of the hottest races in California right now. You can read both columns on sfchronicle.com. And I thought you'd enjoy hearing this conversation about housing in California with the host of Fifth Admission, Cecilia Lay. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Admission. We're not done talking about that proposed 500-unit building on Stevenson Street. In late October, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors rejected a plan to build the project in a parking lot that Nordstrom owns. The vote was 8-3. to While the city continues to face a deepening housing crisis, that decision has sparked a lot of fresh debates among San Franciscans about development, gentrification, in San Francisco city politics. Let's hone in on the role of the Board of Supervisors. They play a critical role in either green or red lighting housing proposals in the city. And it's a lot more complicated than whether individual soups are for or against new housing. Some supervisors claim to be pro-housing, but their votes reflect otherwise. And some votes on housing are angled at larger political playing fields, including the upcoming California State Assembly race. Chronicle columnists Heather Knight and senior political writer Joe Garofoli are here to talk about how a Nordstrom parking lot is signaling a gut check on how the city is addressing its housing issues. We'll also discuss whether San Francisco will ever be able to have a nuanced discussion about housing development. Heather and Joe, thanks for joining me on Fifth and Mission. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, yeah. So let's talk about this 500-unit building decision again. It's still getting a lot of attention. It really did in recent weeks. Um, And it's been this opportunity to take a closer look at the role that San Francisco supervisors play when it comes to development in the city. And, you know, it it doesn't just boil down to who is pro or anti-housing on the board. What political dynamics, if you both can share, do supervisors contend with when they're making these big decisions about housing creation in the city? I think that the Stevenson project that we've all been writing so much about was a good thing because um, it really shined a bright light on how dysfunctional this process is. In um, a lot of places, if something fits the zoning rules, then It's just allowed. But in San Francisco, it works very differently where anything can be appealed to the Board of Supervisors and lead to big debates and community organizations weigh in and try to um, make deals with developers. And um, it's just a a big fight each and every time. And so I think it's great that San Franciscans are realizing how it works here or sometimes doesn't work here. Mm. And now this this uh, conversation is going to a statewide level since, you know, housing, the the price of housing has become a, a statewide issue. There's an unprecedented amount of investment in new housing and housing for homelessness, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this is becoming a hot topic in this assembly race that we're going to be having Mm -hmm. over the next few months. 
So let's zero in on some specifics here. Heather, your most recent column zeroes in on Supervisor Dean Preston. He says he's pro-housing, but many see him as anti-housing. And your latest story highlights that. Tell me about this report that reflects this and what did it reveal about his track record on housing? Well, anybody who's on Twitter and follows um, San Francisco City Hall has undoubtedly seen Supervisor Dean Preston and members of the local Yimby group get into very uh, heated Twitter wars. Um, he really likes trolling them, and and they act all shocked, and it becomes a big, oh my goodness, <laughs> today's Twitter war about housing is. But um, this gave the idea to a few members of the local Yimby group to actually study his record because oftentimes he says, I'm not anti-housing. I do support housing. It's just affordable housing. You're misrepresenting my record. Look at my record. Look at my record. So finally, a few of these Yimby folks said, okay, we will look at your record. And they did. Uh, one of them, who's a associate professor at UC Berkeley told me he feels like he got a second PhD in Dean Preston's housing record because he has spent months, like all of his off time, reviewing planning documents, watching old supervisor meetings, making public records requests. I'm like, oh my God, man, <laughs> you need to find you another hobby. <laughs> Lord love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, they got a ton of records and they've compiled it into a um, report. Let me pull up the link if any listeners want to look at it. It's called nimby.report slash Preston. And they will be making one of these reports for every supervisor. Um, and I will keep covering them. So we're not picking on just Supervisor Preston. A lot of them have these issues. Um, but they found that he does block and oppose a lot of housing. They believe that taken together, his record has blocked or opposed 37,000 people's housing units since he took office um, two years ago. So, of course, he he disagreed with that assessment, and he gave me a good quote. Um, Reading it is like a children's fantasy book, sort of like Alice in Yimby Land. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> basically what it boils down to is people like the Yimbys want housing approved as quickly as possible in a city with a major housing crisis, homelessness, you know, people, the middle class is getting priced out every day. It's harder and harder for teachers and firefighters and other people that any city needs to live here. So folks who want more housing are saying, stop these delays, approve it as soon as you possibly can. People like Supervisor Preston and other supervisors are always trying to propose amendments to make things a little better, get a little bit more affordable housing out of it, get more community benefits. But that does lead to really long delays that people who who want more housing say we just simply can't afford anymore. Um, years of delays doesn't actually get you any housing. And the debate over the Stevenson Project has highlighted that even progressives, you know, have differing views on this. And Joe, your piece highlights this with this upcoming special election for the state assembly seat, which was left vacant by city attorney David Chu. It's a race between Supervisor Matt Haney and former Supervisor David Campos. And they have opposing views on the Stevenson Project. Tell me what they told you about that project decision and what does it say about their respective campaigns? Right. Well, uh, Haney supports it. This is in his district. He says, you know, it's not a perfect plan. Uh, it would, uh, but it would bring a hundred units of more than a hundred units of affordable housing online. Uh, it's close to BART. It would provide a thousand union jobs. He said, this is something we should support. It, as we saw, it got turned down by the board. David Campos is uh, opposes this. He uh, these are the two big names in this uh, uh, race to uh, replace David Chu. Uh, Campos used to be on the board. You know, he takes it from a, a more personal uh, 
viewpoint in part. Uh, he came to the U.S. when he was 15 years old. He was an undocumented immigrant. He came over with his mom, carried his, uh, his younger sister on his back, and they, they moved into a, um, an apartment in a rundown building in uh, South Central Los Angeles. It was full of uh, rats and mold and, and roaches. And, uh, but he learned that, um, that neighbors, you know, the people that lived in the building with him, nobody complained about it because they were afraid that they would be evicted. And, you know, when you're, and, and he identified with many of the people who live in this neighborhood or around where this project would be, uh, many of the low income folks, the immigrants in the community that they, they don't have a lot of housing options, especially in San Francisco. I mean, uh, most of us don't have, uh, who, uh, people who live in the city don't have a lot of housing options. And, and, uh, and people who are, are poor or immigrants have even fewer. So that's in part where he's coming from in his opposition. I should say that there, there are two other candidates in the race, Thea Selby and Bilal Mahmoud, and they both side with uh, Haney on this. I just want to point out that, um, that David Campos's personal feelings about this project um, it's important to note that because of a lot of the work of progressives over the decades, San Francisco has some of the strongest tenant protections in the country, mm. and it would be very hard to evict people like um, his family from nearby SROs, and the SROs themselves are protected. And so some of these concerns seem a little bit more overblown than the reality could be, and a lot of people who've studied um, this issue actually find that when you build more units of all types, including market rate, it brings down the rents for everybody in the area rather than kicking people out. Yeah. Some of these protections that you just mentioned for SRO units or for other affordable housing uh, buildings, how how has that gotten lost in all of this? Because that seems to have sort of been missing from the conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. It seems like we always talk about um, them as two completely separate categories. We're either talking about building housing, or we're talking about protecting tenants. Um, Dean Preston, in his response to me in this report, talked a lot about his good work of protecting tenants over the years and a variety of things he's done on that. But in my mind, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. And yes, we need to protect tenants who are already here, but we also need to make it easier for people who can't afford housing in San Francisco to move here. So it seems like it should be part of the same discussion rather than always two separate things. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Looking closely at Supervisor Haney as an example of how complicated this all is, you know, the 500-unit building proposal was in his district, which he supported. But, you know, the project was of huge concern for some community members, specifically in the Filipino community, because that district is a Filipino cultural district. And that's also something that he helped establish. So does this sort of reveal how difficult it is to just make a progressive pro-housing argument in San Francisco? Is Haney signaling a different way that progressives could be thinking about development? Yeah, I actually wrote a column about uh, Matt Haney's um, entrance into the assembly race a few weeks ago and talked a lot about how his um, housing stance has changed or, as politicians like to say, evolved over the past few years <laughs> when he took office. He ran against one of the founders of Yimby and just slammed her constantly in the race, uh, ended up winning and now sounds like a Yimby himself. But when I asked um, him if he was a Yimby, he was like, uh, uh. <laughs> he didn't really know how to answer. So I think... Yeah. Um, 
progressive politicians are starting to try to find some middle ground or some nuance on on that. They are. And, and part of the reason is, is, you know, he's running for he's running for a broader district outside of Soma. Now he's running for half the city and, and people who live in the Pacific Heights and and Soma and, and, and uh, uh, you know, other parts of the of the city don't uh, don't all share the same opinion on this. So he has to he has to try and uh, have a sort of a broader viewpoint on this. Uh, someone else's opinion who, who told me that their opinion, their uh, their take on housing has evolved is David Campos. Uh, he, hmm. you know, Heather remembers, uh, she was, she was covering this when, uh, he proposed a moratorium on housing, uh, on high end housing in the, in the mission district uh, as recently as five years ago. After that, he, you know, his term was up. He went to work for the, uh, uh, Santa Clara County and they had, um, uh, they built about 4,500 units of supportive housing there. He said, you know, watching that process and helping out in some way there to get that off the ground, you know, now he's like, I see the value of of market rate housing. That's not something you would have heard uh, from him. But at the same time, they're also carving off their political factions here uh, uh, by taking this, the viewpoint that the campus is, that's going to get a certain part of, of the district to vote for him. And, mm-hmm. and, and the same, by the same token, Haney's trying to carve off the other, the other part. I mean, it's speculation, but do you think Matt Haney would have felt differently about this if he wasn't in this state assembly race? I think that's, that is, that is a question. I don't know if any of us can get into Matt Haney's head. Uh, Heather, <laughs> yeah. you're probably living there closer than I am. But here's, <laughs> but there's also one, one fact that is irrefutable. I mean, San Francisco over the next decade is going to be very likely to be required to build 82,000 more units of housing. And 40% of that Roughly forty percent of that has to be low income or very low income housing. So there has to be a way to figure out how to do this, and and that's what uh, when Heather was alluding to more nuanced points mm-hmm. of view. There has to be it. It cannot be uh, all or nothing. Yeah, and as for the assembly race, um, I know that there's been some speculation, probably from Super- Supervisor Haney himself, that his eight colleagues took the very unusual step of going against what the home supervisor wants on a land use discussion, um, which is almost always how it's done, and voting against him. He felt, I think, that you know that could have been a slam on him because most of them are endorsing David Campos, and it was just sort of a political jab rather than you know, a serious um, look at this particular project. But um, when I asked Supervisor Raphael Mandelman that question, um, did you vote against this because you wanted to slam Haney and and give a boost to Campos? He said he actually thinks that this helped Haney in his assembly race. And I said, why? Because it made you all look so bad in comparison. (laughs) And he said, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even Walton, the the, the board president who, who supports Haney, voted against him on this one, which was, that was weird. I didn't, I, you know, I don't follow a board as closely. And I, so I was, I, I didn't understand the, what the politics were there. Yeah, it was a very confusing uh, vote. And I'm sure a lot went into each of those eight people's decision makings and we're still trying to parse it all out. The need for housing rubs up against concerns around displacement and cultural preservation Heather, Supervisor Preston used the cultural preservation argument to stop the conversion of one hotel in Japantown into housing for the homeless. Could there be an argument made that he's not anti-housing, but rather that he's just weighing the real concerns of a community that's experienced the downsides of redevelopment decades ago? 
Yes, but people who, like the Yimbis who wrote this report, would say that that is a NIMBY thing to do to say, well, my constituents who already live in this neighborhood don't want these new people moving in. Um, in that case, it was permanent supportive housing for homeless people. Um, and so we should go with what they want. Um, so I think, you know, if if he made the exact same argument in like Ashbury Heights, would we feel the same way that they have the right to protect their neighborhood? So that is mm. also, you know... Uh, a contentious argument. And I think the overall point that the the report authors here are trying to make is that he seems to come up with a different excuse or a different reason for blocking all these projects. And any one of them taken just alone can kind of seem like it makes sense and, and you kind of get where he's coming from. But then when you look at them all added up together and all of the units that have been blocked in a city that desperately needs more housing, it's, it's more impactful. And maybe each mm-hmm. individual excuse wasn't the right thing to do. So a question I have for both of you, since you have both written on this topic and have been looking at it closely, it just seems like to me that the concerns of gentrification will inherently be a part of any development debate in San Francisco. Are either of you optimistic that we can have a productive, nuanced conversation about housing in the city? Or is this just going to be a polarized debate like so many other issues in this country? I'm optimistic by how much traction this Stevenson project has gotten. I mean, I haven't received this much email in a while from a column. Um, People were Mm -hmm. so fascinated and interested in the subject. So I think at least we can say that San Franciscans are paying more attention to this problem now and and demanding better from City Hall and not kind of buying the one-off excuses. Mm. Well, I, I think we're, we've seen this in San Francisco, this this conversation and this this polarization about gentrification uh, for the last uh, 30 years. I mean, remember going back to the dot-com boom and, and the way there was the it was the focus was on the mission district and how the mission was changing. Um, that's that's always been a part of it. But th- this is a little bit more. I, I see, you know, the rays of nuance <laughs> coming through coming through here, as Heather said, in, in this conversation. And part of it is because we're at a crisis point. We didn't have the number of homeless on the street, uh, you know, thir- 25, 30 years ago. We have and now we have the you know, there are now um uh, there's uh, oncoming rules from the state that the city has to build more housing. So there has to be a way to build this housing. And and we're, the city, if they're, if they're going to do that, is going to have to have a more nuanced look at some of these issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that Supervisor Haney makes a really good point in that the supervisors who keep saying they're concerned about gentrification in his district, the way they could actually help address that is to approve housing in their own districts, which are almost entirely wealthier. Um, so they could take that action. We'll we'll wait and see if they do. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for that uh, for that affordable housing project in Pacific Heights. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both for talking to me about this. It stirred so much debate, and you know, you both have pointed out the need for more nuanced conversations. So I appreciate you both having that with me. Thank you. Thanks, Jose. Heather Knight is a columnist at The Chronicle and the co-host of the Total SF podcast. And Joe Garofoli is a senior political writer and the host of the podcast, It's All Political. You can find both of their stories about the politics of the Stevenson Street Housing Project on sfchronicle.com or on the Chronicle app. If talking about housing is your thing, we'll be doing a lot of it at our live event on November 18th. It'll focus on the unhoused experience in Oakland, and I'll be hosting it. You can RSVP at sfchronicle.com slash membership. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>